I was thinking about this talk specifically, because we're in a series, and we're in a series where we're looking at what Jesus said specifically in his own sermons. Like every rabbi had a yoke, a set of teachings that kind of followed them wherever they went. And when you look at the words of Jesus, you're, you're leaving little room for objectivity, right? Like little room for interpretation. This is just like, this is what Jesus said. And so I, you know, I, and how many of you recognize that Jesus said some really tough things, some really hard things at times, right? And so I was like trying to think of like jokes to help lighten the mood because you read some of this stuff and it's like, geez, Jesus, like calm down, you know, like take it easy. But there's really nothing that helps lighten the mood when you look at the, the nature of what we're talking about specifically this morning. And so I just, if it's okay, I just want to get straight into Luke 6 and the manifesto of Jesus' ministry. What he said was most important. And, and I want you to know the, the audience that he's speaking to. It's towards the last year of his, his ministry here on earth. And he directly turns to his disciples after having like droves leave him. And he looks at a, a smaller number and he goes, okay, you know, if you're not going to go and you're going to be here, then I want you to know I'm handing this to you. So you're going to have to be like me. I, I don't need believers. I don't need people who gathered in the thousands upon tens of thousands to hear and see me do the miraculous. I need you to be like me, be my apprentices, be my disciples. And you're going to have to love like me because I'm, I'm leaving it all to you. I'm entrusting you with this. And so the words we're about to look at are, are difficult um, and they're really hard to hear, but even harder to follow. They're distinguishing. And in fact, they're defining. Jesus is often referred to um, with these words specifically as, as producing or, or, or giving us what we call the upside down kingdom. The impetus behind Jesus' ministry was, was just that, was for us to see what heaven would look like here on earth to bring the kingdom down and to experience the truth of what the kingdom of God actually looked like. And that, how many of you recognize because you've experienced the power and move of Jesus that that's way different than the world that you inhabit? Okay. Um, let, me, let me read a, a quote. I want to say before I read this quote, this quote's from Joseph Stalin, okay? I recognize in advance most of us probably can't identify with Stalin or at least I hope so. I hope not. From the book, Death in the Kremlin, Killer of the Masses, we read this direct quote from Joseph Stalin. It says this, and before um, I read it, I want to say one more time. How many of you have ever um, been in an argument and you wanted to be right? So you fought to be right, okay? And how many of you have ever been, like, treated unfairly and you just really sought justice, really wanted that, like, kind of felt it in your bones? He says... To choose one's victim, to prepare one's plan minutely, to slake an implacable vengeance, and then go to bed. There's nothing sweeter in the world. You see, Stalin was clearly, if not arguably, one of the most ruthless dictators of the 20th century. One who in this statement reveals the disdain that he has for anyone challenging his authority. Anyone else ever fought to be right in an argument. Okay, maybe two of us now. Okay. <laughs> Have we considered how like him we are when we ruthlessly need to be right in an argument to find our value in the winning that is found there?
flesh has fruit and it is solely selfish. There's never more on display when we feel we've been treated unjustly and we seek revenge for ourselves. Stalin's statement encompasses something and I suggest that it encompasses the, eth- the essence of the world's lust for vengeance at large. I think that we have a deep desire for vengeance because when we feel wronged, we almost lust to be seen and treated as right. Let me read um, what Jesus says on the subject so we can kind of look at what I mean by that. In verse 27 of chapter 6 in Luke, it says, But I say to you, but I say to you who listen. Now, I'm going to read on in a second, but I want to stop there for a moment. But I say to you who listen. Remember, he's just had droves leave. And he's only has a few, he has some left. More than the 12, but he has some left. And what he's saying when he asks that statement is, For those of you who are here and are teachable. Let me say that again. How many of you have heard the words of Jesus before and had struggle in doing them? He says, for those of you who are about to hear this, I expect you to do this. For those of you who are here still, listen. Love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus, come on, like, calm down. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. If anyone takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks of you from everyone who takes your things. Don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, What credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be the children of the most high for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil be merciful just as your father in heaven was merciful last week we learned that jesus was here to offer hope to the hopeless and remember he said blessed are the poor and the poor and those who were afflicted with demon possession or deafness, they were seen as ostracized. Lepers, they were cast out. And so he came and offered hope to what was seemingly hopeless. And then he goes a step further. He wants his disciples to see people as people, not as ostracized, not as afflicted, not as poor or rich. He wants to see them in two categories, as those who want to live by the kingdom of God, the redeemed, and those who are suffering the fate of the world. That's it. There is no other distinction for Jesus. And he says um, that he wants the esteemed of the world to see themselves who take favor in their status as cursed, completely different, rejected from the kingdom because he says your, your temporal reward, what you have here is what you've got. In this passage, he continues by sharing the most definitive and marking principle of a disciple of Jesus. 
love. He shares not just a concept of love or a love that is ethereal or... A love that is not inherent, but superficial. How many of you have ever forgiven someone without actually forgiving them? And then whatever said the words, but it wasn't here, just your friends, I, mine too, you know. I was the brunt of that, right? And so in Luke um, 30, sorry, look in verse 35a, I want to say this again, go back. It says, he summarizes basically the entire sermon for you, but love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. I want to give us our first point. Number one is love your enemies. Love your enemies. It says it's counter to stall. Extreme version of the way we all live, the thing that Jesus came to save us from, being slaves to sin and selfishness. Jesus, in stark contrast, calls for love and grace for our enemy, not vengeance. In fact, he reserved that for himself. If you remember in Deuteronomy 32, 35, he says, vengeance is mine. That vengeance belongs to me. He says, love those who hate you and do good to them. Now, I want to explain what Jesus is saying and how culturally difficult this would have been for the Jew to hear. Okay? What he's talking about would have truly stymied the Jew uh, of that day culturally. Um, Maimonides, one of the most famous uh, scholars of the Talmud and the Torah, he was a Jewish philosopher, um, he was very prolific in his knowledge of the Torah, said this, that a Jew should never rescue a Gentile if they fall into the sea, that they should let them drown. They had attitudes in Jesus' day towards both... Um, the rest of the world or anyone who was challenging his authority. Judaism in that day was very narrow, it was exclusive, it was intolerant, largely loveless, and condemning especially to those who were Gentile and Samaritan because the Jew was set apart and was given a law system that put them outside of any society. God gave them that so they might turn and reveal to the world the one true God. But instead of doing that, instead of evangelizing, what they did was they took that as an opportunity to be arrogant and spiritually arrogant, looked down their nose at the rest of the world. And, and quite honestly, what they did was they spawned hatred. They spawned uh, like the the virtue of of being hated true maybe we've experienced it there's no hatred in the world quite like religious hatred um if you're not sure um how many of you have heard of the term isis or al-qaeda or westboro baptist church You know, people who, who take I'm not perfect, but I'm not them. And see, we, we oftentimes can look at these extremists, these radicalists, and we go, there's no way that it was supposed to be like this. There's no way that this is the kingdom. There's no way that that's what God intended. And it's almost laughable to us. But how many of us, just like them, in gatherings like this or throughout our day-to-day in our office place and school, we go, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not him or her. 
and we cast judgment in the direction. And so just the same. So the, what he's saying here is love your enemy. Love those who have cursed you. Love those and pray for them. Um, uh, John MacArthur said this, and I like this quote. He said, Jesus' command is so contrary It was incomprehensible. It was shocking. It would have been unacceptable to any Jew of that day because they saw themselves as elite. The word good here, when he says do good to those, is kalos. It refers to a good that's inherent, not superficial. One that does benefit one's enemy. Christ's disciples aren't to seek vengeance. Rather, he commands that they are to overconquer evil with good in Romans 12, 1, as Paul wrote. Um, Jesus asked us to do it in a specific way. How many of you have ever had someone slander your name? Say something wrong against you. Matthew five ten says, Blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. He says, blessed. But how many of us in the heat of the hurt can think on that. To say, I didn't do that, I didn't say that, that's a lie. How many of you, your natural tendency is to defend yourself and move to a point of self-preservation? Absolutely, that's natural. So what Jesus is asking us to do is completely unnatural. It's not what we do it says the battle isn't flesh and blood, but we battle against principalities of the dark. And so what he's asking us to consider is those around you, even those who are saying all kinds of evil against you, those who, when in a moment he'll say, I want you to pray for and I want you to pray my blessing or my favor or highly favored one on those who are actually spitefully trying to get one over on you. was created in my image and I love them too and just like we sang a moment ago I'm pursuing them I chase them down after them but the only way that they'll know me and know my love a love that exceeds what's natural in the world is if my like I loved beyond their natural tendency I um and um I became painfully aware because you have to think about every literally in chains because you hold a resentment somewhere. And it's amazing how and he says, love your enemies. Now, I'm not someone who walks around the world and thinks I have a lot of enemies. It's me. I'm not, I'm not thinking that way a lot of the time. But this week, places where I've been hurt and I've not forgiven. Not true. 
Anyone else know what I'm talking about? How many of you know doing is often more difficult Let me point that out to you. Lights start to go. We all need to listen up. In fact, what he is saying here is this. Bless those who curse you. They may say kinds of evil, all, all kinds of evil against you. I, I found myself wrestling with this the past three weeks. And then this week saw my, my ailing grandmother, who many of you know and been praying for, and I, I thank you for that. And what you may not know is she fell again this week. This week completely shattered her hip. And we were in surgery with her Wednesday to replace it all together. And in the process of healing through it, her mind is just not at all there. Not at all what. And openly, not even knowing that I was in the room saying things that were deep and dark that I wasn't even aware of, had no idea. And, and I'm watching this process. And I think, God, who am I to hold on to any resentment or anything? I don't want to be found here one day. I don't want to be found here at 92. God, glory be if I ever get to that level. And I'm holding on to things that happened decades ago that were still deep down and I just didn't even know it. And I saw her wrestle and fight and I saw the discomfort with it. I saw the hurt of a tormented soul, if I'm honest. And I started praying in ways I've never prayed before. I felt compelled to pray in ways I've never prayed before. And I started to see right there in the room in front of me what, what Paul was trying to let us know, and that is that we don't battle in flesh and blood. There is a real war that is happening. It's spiritual. And it is for the soul of man. And I saw what happens when sin goes unconfessed. Uh, and we, when we watch it eat away at us over decades of time. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And he says, They're, the world, this is the world. This is the way they live. They know no other way. They know to think for themselves and fight for themselves and self-preserve and defend. And that's all they know. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you, when they curse at you, when they say all kinds of evil against you, I want you to bless them. I want you to pray favor on them. I want you to pray makarios over them, that they'd be highly favored in the eyes of God, that they would come to, in contact with God in such a way. And even if it be through you and your peace and kindness that they would desire him. And then for those who have even premeditated and thought, how can I get one over on so-and-so without them knowing it. I'm going to sneakily come in the back door on, the, on their back. I'm going to climb the ladder of success. I'm going to hurt them so that I can get ahead. He goes, for that one, for that person, I want you to pray for them even more intently. Hit your knees and, and not just like say kind things and all kinds of goodness to them and to their face. I want you to hit your knees in your prayer closet for them and ask for me to move. So, what Jesus turned to his disciples and said was this, this isn't for little boys and girls. This isn't for people who are going to look like the world and act like the world, but try to piggyback me onto them. This means you're completely going to change. And if you're going to carry what I expect of my church into the world, you have to look entirely different. Whoever's listening, listen. 
Because I'm not just saying it to waste my breath, Jesus says. I expect change. I don't want to see you any longer tormented or enslaved. My grandmother went to church for as long as I can remember. And I saw her spiritually tormented this week as she can almost recognize the end is coming. I don't want to find myself there and I don't want to find my church there. Do what is good next. Again, Kalos is that definition of um, doing what is inherently good. Doing what inherently elevates your offender. Do not put on an obligatory or charitable show for other people. How many of us know what I'm talking about? You've done this? Like others might be looking and so, yeah, I forgive you. But inside... Do not do that. Um, truly love. In fact, the word here that he uses for sinner is hamalartoi, which is this. Anyone outside the kingdom of God, they love in a way that's reciprocal. They love expecting to be loved. That's why he goes on and explains what he does. He says, what credit is it to you? Every sinner who loves those who love them, this is what sinners do. So if you love those who only love you, what credit is it to you? You're just like the sinner. You're just like those outside the kingdom of God, the lost. Their self-serving attitude is natural and earthly, one that justifies vengeance when everyone else around them fails them. The words of Jesus. So um, I had to think on this because I'm watching mortality in front of me this week in a hospital room. And the words that came to me again this week and spoken through a friend last week and in my own quiet time was this. I shared it with a friend in this room already and, and I've been asking for them to pray for me. Here's the words that the Lord gave me. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 says, The old has passed away, behold, all things become new. Right? Talking about new life. Everyone like that verse? Love that verse? Okay. We usually say that right around baptismal time, right? We get into the baptistry. And the baptismal represents a grave, correct? And we say buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in what? Newness of life, new life, right? So the water represents a grave. Here's what God asked me to think about and reminded me through a friend and watch. Made me witness as I listened to my grandmother writhe. What did dead men do? It was a question. God and I often talk like this. Maybe you've noticed it comes out in my preaching. I ask a lot of questions. What do dead men do? They're dead. They have no capacity to hold a grudge. They have no capacity to resent. They have no capacity to hold one anything against anyone else. They have no capacity to withhold forgiveness. They have no capacity to love like this. They have no capacity to love their enemy when they've been deeply hurt. They have no capacity to do anything. They have no possessions. They have no thing that they own on this planet. They recognize everything is temporal. Dead is dead. They lie there in their grave and that's it. And the old life in you and I, the one that was chained to this place, the one that was in bondage and the one that fought for itself and knew no other way, that's what died when we took Jesus. Hello? That's what died when Jesus sought us out to where we could no longer deny him. 
when he chased us down, he sought us out. And that's why when we sing, how can I be lost when you have called me found? Dead men are dead. What right do you or I have to hate, to curse, to not forgive? What, what right do we have? We have no right. We have no right because we decided at the cross, the moment we couldn't save ourselves, we were giving up rights to ourselves. We decided, thank you, Lord, for being Savior. And let me say that again, thank you, Lord, because you're now boss. And when you said to your disciples, this is what I expect from my people, this is what I expect, that they would love their enemies, they do what is good, inherently good, not superficially good, but do what is inherently good, the heart of who they are, they want blessing on those around them, and then they will... They will do this, they'll lend, point three, expecting nothing in return. They'll give it away because my love is reciprocal. My love's not reciprocal. They're not looking or giving away love. They're not just loving those who look like them. They're not just spending time with those who like them. They're spending time with the people that no one else likes. They're spending time pursuing those that no one else seems to notice. And then when they go to give something away, here's, here's what he's pointing to. In Romans 13, 8, I want to point this out. This is really important. It tells us that everyone should pay his debts. So this is not demanding that we should lend to everyone blindly knowing they'll never pay the loan. That's not what he's saying. There are times when God calls you to be generous and he's asking you to give it away. And you shouldn't even look for anything in return. That's going to be more times in the life with Jesus than not. But he's not talking about a lack of accountability. What he is saying here is this. In their day, you may identify with this. In their day, what they would do is they would have a tendency to lend something to someone expecting them to pay them back at equal or higher status. So as anyone in the room, maybe you have a friend, ever prayed, God, I'm going to give this, hook me up a hundredfold. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm doing this with my left hand, but my right hand's open. You know? He's saying, don't do that. Don't lend expecting anything in return. Just lend out of the generosity of your heart. Give it away. If they take your shirt, give it. Don't look for it in, in, in return. If they take your jacket, give it. Don't, don't ask for it in return. When it says in here, if they slap you on the right cheek, turn to the left. Let me clarify that. That's, that's not don't defend yourself. Please, let me be clear. So what he's talking about. What he's talking about is you are going to be cast out of the synagogue. Those of you who are in my name, the synagogue was the center of all Judaic worship. And so they were unsynagogued, if you will, those who were followers of Jesus. And what happened oftentimes to these followers was they would be publicly ridiculed. They would be publicly made uh, fun of or made an example of. And so they would scourge them 39 times like they did Jesus before the cross. They'd scourge them publicly. And he was saying, when they hit you, do not retaliate. One of the, the greatest ways that you could disgrace someone publicly was to, when they were outside the synagogue, unwelcome to come in, the religious elite would come by and slap them across the face as a warning to everyone else that they'd been disgraced. And what does Jesus say? He says, don't retaliate. He goes, turn the other cheek as well. So it's not talking about just in life go around being a punching bag, but what it is talking about is if you're persecuted for my, my name's sake, blessed are you. I'm going to give you an inner strength. 
that exists only in me. You don't have this natural tendency in you, but trust my words and trust this process. Follow me. Someone, if someone wants to disgrace you, know you're blessed by me. If you wanna, if someone needs something or they steal from you, let them have it. I used to hear it like this. I was uh, one of my kids when I first got into student ministry had his Bible stolen. And I looked at him and said, obviously they needed it more than you do. And I only said that because I had heard someone else tell me that. You know what I'm saying? But is there not some truth in that? Is there not some freeing truth in that? He's like, but all my notes were in. I was like, man, I know I hate that. I really do. But here's the thing. This gives you an opportunity to work out a whole new Bible. And I gave him one. And he cherished that. But what God is asking for is this. He doesn't want us to be a part of the tit-for-tat reciprocal system of love or lending any longer defining the world. What he desires is that we would show a life that is actually alive, not dead. That's dead. What he's showing, what he asks is that we would show evidence of a transformed life, one that has fruit of the kingdom and responds in a way that's outside of this earthly binding. The supernatural love of, of God displayed in his disciples to go beyond to go beyond where our natural limits stop. In John 13, 35, it says, they'll know you by your love for one another. In John 17, I mentioned this last week, it was his strategy for the entire world, unity, to know who his people were to point to who he was. So I wanna, I wanna close up here. Here, listen. Jesus says this, that you're to love your enemies. You're to bless those who curse you Love those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you. And you're supposed to do good unto them inherently, not superficially. You're to lend expecting nothing in return because I have you. He is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. How many of you have met someone who's ungrateful in life? We're about to move into Thanksgiving season, right? Anyone know anybody ungrateful? A little braver question. Anyone else been ungrateful before? Maybe not now, just before. <laughs> Let me end with this thought. Um, you and I may believe that because we've been offended or deeply hurt by someone that Jesus has asked us to do the impossible in forgiving them or even seeking to love and bless despite what they did or even in righteous anger, stand up against people like ISIS or Westboro. I had an encounter with Westboro. That's why I brought him up. I was in college. I was an intern working for a church where I, I was unpaid. You know, it was just like one of the first ministry gigs. I remember pulling up to the church and driving into the parking lot, passing signs that were very offensive, having my car rocked on the way in. When I got out to open my car, I was met by a policeman and a shield, and behind the shield, I was ushered into the offices. And this made national news. This is what the world thought the church was. All Jesus says is this is nothing like what I expect. In fact, what I expect you to do is love even those who are rocking your car. Do you know why they were rocking us? We were hosting an anti-violence forum and they didn't like that. This is unfortunately what the world 
looks at and they say that's extreme and they don't like it they don't even like it but i wonder if they look at the world and see what we are supposed to be based on what jesus said if they would if they'd be attracted ephesians 6 12 i'm gonna say it again for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms john 10 10 says the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy Though many today have chosen to believe that he doesn't exist and have denied or forgotten him, the reality is we can't choose to reference him as fable. When Jesus looks at us and he says, hey, love your enemies, the reason Jesus could say that openly and honestly and knew how difficult it would be for us to hear it, but he said it and expects it of us is because the truth is we only have one enemy and it's not man. doesn't matter who that man is. We have one enemy. And we are walking around with targets on our back for those who have defined ourselves in the way of Jesus. If we say, Jesus, we trust in you, we want to be known as found, we want to be known as yours, you just marked yourself against an enemy that is spiritual. You cannot see it. It's not here in this realm. And so anything you hold against someone here on the planet is child's play. The battle's not flesh and blood. The battle is spiritual. It is eternal. It is something far bigger. And you're up against someone who knows the Bible better than you or I do, who's been doing this for decades and centuries. But he says you have one enemy. We can think only in temporal terms sometimes, but Jesus didn't. And he names our true enemy, the one who parades as the angel of light. Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, the father of all lies, the, the massive deceiver. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be alert. He's asking the church to be awake, like wake up, like be awake and recognize the battle that's actually taking place. Not, it's not here. It's not with the people in this room that you even have things against or people are going to show up at your house because everyone knows family is dysfunctional. It's not like when Thanksgiving happens and everyone gets around the table and go, hey, let's talk about what we're grateful for. What are you thankful for? How many of you have that one, two, 12 family members? You go, good night. I can't take being with these people. So ungrateful, like liars, you know, whatever. I have it, trust me. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is proud like a roaring lion, seeking whom he'll devour. He hates you, he hates me, he hates ISIS. Any person graven in the image of God whom Jesus died for, that he can deceive until eternal misery, the same fate that awaits him, because misery loves company. We're to come awake. Forgive those who have not loved us, who have hurt us, maybe even made us believe that we were unlovable because here's the truth. They weren't acting under their own, under their own direction. Sure, maybe they were selfish, maybe they're part of the world, but they, that's not the battle we're in. We're fighting something far bigger. And here's the thing. Jesus already defeated him. Here's the thing. The grave is empty. For anyone who has trusted in the name of Jesus, you're already victorious. So let's not get caught in the weeds. Let's look at the bigger picture. Number one, for anyone who is listening, he's expecting you to be teachable. 
He expects us to rise above the weeds and take his vantage point. Not your friends, not even those who sometimes when you say things go, you don't know how she hurt me. And you come alongside and go, I know, honey, it's fine. We should get her. Anyone have that friend? Even in the church? I get it. I'm thankful. I'm grateful when people love me. They just gave me terrible counsel. Second, dead men are dead. That's why the counsel they just gave is terrible. They're asking you to fight for your flesh. Jesus asked you to get rid of it. Jesus asked you to crucify it. Don't self-preserve, trust me. And lastly, the only way you can do this is stop keeping score. Stop keeping score for those who have wronged you, the wrong you got, you're not up keeping count so that you have a, a case built against them. Stop doing that. To the religiously arrogant and legalistic, here's the thing. You're never going to build a tower that's going to usher you straight into the throne room of God. You're never going to build that tower on the, the good works or your earning that will finally walk you straight into his room. You go, hey, how you doing? When the people of God challenge the I am, because we're more concerned with we are, we look just like the lost that God is asking us to love. We can't do it in our own capacity, and we'll never do it looking like those that he's asked us to love. I can't do it on my own, but dead men are dead. And so his capacity through me, I can do all things. Father, this morning, I know that we are uh, wrapping up and God, we're at a place where, I'll just be honest, God, your word is tough. I mean, there are people in my own mind right now, so thus I trust my friends have people in their minds who have hurt them, wronged them. And it's really difficult to think about blessing them. It's really difficult to think about giving them honor or favor. But God, they're not our enemy. If your word is true, that's not who we're against. And God, in truth, they're not against us. Father, we have an enemy whom you defeated at the cross. And this morning, we want to turn our attention to the cross. It's in this time. where we can come to this altar and lay down the things that we have held for so long that are actually hurting us. And they're keeping us from knowing the fullness of the abundance of life that you have for us in Jesus. It's We sing freedom, but we're not actually free because we're bound by these things. So God, I pray that right now you'd move by the power of your spirit in this room on our hearts to lay those burdens down at the foot of the cross, even if we've laid them down hundreds of times before, let us be sincere about leaving them and thank you for taking them. Let us come to your altar for freedom's sake. If there is someone here who needs prayer for that, we have prayer partners. If we come to your table today, God, recognizing how you sacrificed so that we could be free. If we need to respond at your table today, God, I pray you'd receive us. But Lord, may every one of us respond because today you've asked for those who would listen to listen, for those who are hearing to be teachable. We're your church. We want to do as you've asked, live as you are. In 
in Jesus' name.